Hello, it's John Smith here, the son of Harry Leslie Smith, and I have for you an excerpt from my new book about my dad, I Stood with Harry. Hi, Dad. You've been dead two years, some months, and a handful of days. That's not a long time. In fact, it was only yesterday that I went through some photos of you taken 75 years ago at the end of the war. Looking at them, I felt you present. In my imagination, you were near me as if you had just stepped out of our living room to check for the mail downstairs in our apartment lobby. While I glanced at those pictures from long ago, I couldn't help but think of your experiences in spring 1945. Then you were 22. It was the 1st of May when you arrived in Hamburg with your RAF unit after your team had blazed across Europe's lowlands, making former Luftwaffe air bases operational for fighter plane squadrons. You drove into Germany's second largest city on the back of an American army truck just hours after the Nazis had surrendered it to British forces. The Allied air war had reduced much of the city's working class neighborhoods to a burnt out shell of broken buildings where people lived in caves dug from the rubble of their apartment blocks. The ordinary citizens of Hamburg said the RAF had spared the affluent north end of the city during the 1943 firebombing raids, codenamed Gomorrah, that left 50,000 civilians dead because English officers wanted nice houses to live in once they had won the war. At first, it was hard for you to feel empathy for ordinary Germans because you had seen what their soldiers did to Holland on your march west to Germany, and it disgusted you. In truth, you really only felt relief that you were alive. Peace like spring that year came suddenly, and at the stroke of midnight on May 8th, the Second World War ended when the Allies accepted the Articles of Surrender from what was left of the military leadership of Hitler's government. After five years of terrible conflict, it took you by surprise that it was now all over. Peace created in you the rarest of emotions, joy. You were born and bred in the slums of Barnsley, Bradford, and Halifax, so had never been given the opportunity of just savoring the ecstasy of being alive. But you had done it. You had outlived the war. Out of sight of your mates, you wept because you had walked away from World War II without even a shaving nick. Honestly, Dad, who wouldn't have cried after surviving that shitstorm, as well as the Great Depression to boot? After you settled your emotions, you pledged you would free yourself of your past by building a happy and loving present. You also promised yourself that when a general election was called, you would cast a ballot for the first time in your life, and you would vote for a Labour government because they were a political party that had the working classes back. That night, a party was thrown to celebrate victory in Europe. And with your mates, you drank booze that was liberated from a former Luftwaffe, Luftwaffe officer's mess hall. In the end, the celebration left you so blind drunk, you lost your sidearm and woke the next day headfirst in the urinal on your base. I don't think you ever got that inebriated again in your life but that didn't stop your desire to linger at a party until the last bits of fun or excitement was squeezed from the event. But considering what happened to the world in 2020, I'm glad you died when you did in 2018. I'm relieved you didn't remain alive until now. It would have been an even sadder goodbye had you died now from this virus that had hushed the normal workings of society. Since you've been gone a lifetime of events, tragedies, comedies occurred. Everything turned to shit for me and for society at large after you parted this world. It's just been one big clusterfuck. I doubt you'd recognize what so many of us must accept as normal now, but then maybe you would because you witnessed a lot of history during the 95 years you were granted to dance to the music of time. Yet I think even you would have been gobsmacked by the world being stopped in its tracks by COVID-19. 
It's been over a year since the world was assaulted by this coronavirus pandemic. It has killed in great number and put the economies of every nation on hiatus. The world has seen nothing like this since the 1918 Spanish flu that spread across the continents like a biblical curse and put to the ground over 60 million people. Even though the Spanish flu occurred five years before your birth, you could never recall any of your elders talking about it. You said it was because your world stumbled from one calamity to the next with no time to catch its breath until 1945, when a new order emerged from the rubble of Europe. So there was no time to talk about the tragedies which occurred in the past while your generation was struggling with the sorrows of the present. Sadly, I believe COVID will also, also quickly fade from our memory once this calamity passes. We simply live on the verge of too many crises from environmental to economic for our societies to not fall into more perilous situations that will dwarf the seriousness of this pandemic. Humanity will need to expend all its time surviving to, trying to survive rather than remember the heartache of COVID. For the moment, this pandemic is far from over. It never dims from our consciousness because there is a steady stream of news, press conferences, and reports on the progress of the virus and the amount of people who tested positive for it or who are fighting for their lives in ICUs. So it consumes our waking moments the way battlefronts in the desert once occupied the minds of Britain in 1943. To date, our 21st century plague has slaughtered 3 million worldwide, including half a million in the USA, 126,000 in the UK, and over 20,000 in Canada. Many of these deaths can be attributed not so much to the virulence of the virus, but the malignancy of capitalism championed by conservative politics that refuse to provide the poor who work in essential frontline jobs like grocery stores or as personal support workers, proper health protections, and sick days should they feel that they had COVID-19 symptoms. As well, long-term care homes for ordinary senior citizens became killing grounds because the monetization of elderly care ensured that privatized facilities answered first to their shareholders' bottom line before they addressed the health and safety of their residents. Even though vaccines were recently created to provide humanity some immunity from the virus, the death count isn't stopping anytime soon. And the concerning part is that we do not know how long the vaccines will provide protection against COVID or whether the new variants springing up will overwhelm the immune system of those newly inoculated. The one thing I have taken away from this pandemic is you don't want to get it, because even if you survive it, the after effects are life altering. Many people who have survived this infection must now deal with a lifetime of debilitating health issues because their hearts and lungs were damaged by the virus. I have known school friends who contracted the virus because they were insistent that they needed to go to the mall for Christmas shopping because they refused to alter the minutiae of their consumerism. They still send me pictures of themselves dining out in restaurants with the tag, we take the necessary precautions. Rubbish. If you were taking the necessary precautions, you would not be in a restaurant eating a meal during a time of plague. As for me, I haven't been to a restaurant since COVID-19 arrived on our shores and take my meals alone in the apartment we once shared. It is beyond me how so many people think their mortality isn't in peril by this plague. Moreover, these will be the same people that complain when asked to contribute through higher taxes to tend to the thousands suffering from long COVID. As for our economy, it has been benevolent to those at the top of the pay scale as they saw no changes to their standard of living. They were able to capitalize on the crisis with cheap credit to inflate an already unfair and democracy-destroying housing market boom and reap even greater rewards from an economy rigged for their benefit. Now, while the well-off have survived this public health crisis, relatively free of both death and financial shocks, 
Everyone else scrambles to stay alive, like passengers fleeing a sinking ship. The divisions between have and have-nots has become so extreme that residential evictions in Toronto are now enforced by regular police squads carrying out civil court orders of eviction, like the failure to pay your rent was a violent criminal offense as dangerous to society as building a meth lab in your home. However, I guess to an economy that is based upon the top 10% of income earners profiting from the housing boom, failing to pay your rent to them or the corporations that own billions of dollars of residential real estate is a form of economic violence. To serve and protect the motto of the police has truly come to mean exclusively for the entitled landlord class of citizens. It won't be long now until the midnight flits that your family indulged in during the 1920s and 1930s because joblessness became a standard for many people who live one paycheck away from life on the pavement will become our norm as well. Even in the small town of Belleville where I live and you once did its public park and you once did, its public parks are strewn with the detritus of the homeless as they set up tents like ancient homesteaders laying claim to their farmland. The great cities of Canada are now no different than the great cities of Britain because the despair of the homeless is in plain sight on most street corners. They haunt the good fortunes of the housed and most look away and close their ears to the squeak and clatter of their shopping carts stuffed with their worldly possessions. I know I was not there, but from the stories you once told me, this era now feels as uncertain as the 1930s of your youth and mums. Right-wing politics is still in its ascendancy in the US, Canada, the UK, and Australia. Trump may be gone as president of the US, but not the greed that drove his agenda. Besides, most states are controlled by Republican governors like the provinces in Canada are ruled by Tories. And in Britain, Johnson's grip on government is strong despite his incompetence and cronyism that has caused tens of thousands of their citizens to perish. We are in the grips of fascism that will be hard, if not impossible, to shake from government. Too many obstacles are in the way for democracy to return to something that is truly for and by the people. The news media is all but controlled by a handful of billionaires or their corporations who have a stake in the current status quo of inequality. Social media is now more than ever a playground for the political memes, porn, pet videos, or conspiracy theories. In the real world, poverty and wealth gaps increase with each closing bell of Wall Street. The refugee crisis, like the climate crisis, is been forgotten during the pandemic, and vulnerable people are at a greater threat of homelessness, debilitating illness, or premature death than ever before in this century. I honestly don't have much confidence that humanity will walk away from this without violent upheaval or a further plunge into the political black hole of authoritarianism where corporations like Amazon, Google, Walmart, and Fox News are calling the shots. In short, Dan, I'm terrified for society and scared shitless that I might not make it out alive from this pandemic. Yes, I know you called me the consummate survivor when you were alive, but my circumstances are much changed now because I am in poor health. Or as Ratso Rizzo said in Midnight Cowboy, I'm falling apart here. A little over a year ago, I was diagnosed with rectal cancer. Go figure, eh? I thought I would have had at least a few years of maintainable health after you died. There was no logic behind it, but I thought that because I'd had a heart attack at 42 that I would be spared any more disease until my late 60s. After all, I'd had my brush with death, quit smoking, and tried to live a healthier life. Besides, my doctor loved to tell me without any real evidence that I was in good shape. Still, even before you died, I knew I was not exactly right. I couldn't put my finger on it. I laid it down my change in bowel habits and exhaustion to stress. There was no time to think about my well-being in your last two years of life. I'm glad I didn't find out I had cancer until you were dead, because your life would have been unendurable 
if you thought you were going to have to bury another son. It's all water under the proverbial bridge anyway. After campaigning for labor candidates in marginal northern seats in the 2018 general election, I couldn't ignore my symptoms any longer because I was losing control of my bowels. So in January 2020, after a colonoscopy, a CAT scan, an MRI during the Christmas break, ordered because I was bleeding profusely from the rectum, a local surgeon told me I had cancer. He added by pointing to a three-dimensional model of the abdomen and the organs in it that I would require radical surgery to survive it. The words, I'm sorry you have cancer, made me feel hollow. It was not like I did not expect this diagnosis after all my tests. I already knew by my dreams in the night that told me I was dying and by feeling an overwhelming melancholy over the passing of time. But it was hard to come to terms with it once the doctor articulated how precarious my health was. So after my diagnosis, I thanked the surgeon. I told him I had been prepared for this news and had also contacted an oncological surgeon in Toronto who specialized in rectal cancers. I informed him I would seek treatment in Toronto and left. One thing I understood is that if I had the bad luck of being diagnosed with cancer, I wasn't going to compound that bad luck by using a general surgeon for a specialized operation. Walking out of the doctor's office, I felt in bad need of a drink. I walked to the pub where we had filmed your promotional video for Harry's Last Stand. It was empty and it reminded me of one of the many sad pubs we sat in with your brother Matt in Bridlington when we would fly out from Portugal to visit him. I ordered a whiskey, drank it, and then ordered another one. In the dead midwinter afternoon of, of that week, this pub had only two customers. They looked like they had drunk from youth to middle age in this pub and now couldn't recall where all the time and their hopes had gone. On the television behind the bar, a 24-hour news channel was reporting on the steady push of the coronavirus towards Canada. I looked away from it because I knew my history and remembered the devastation that the Spanish flu brought. Maybe it was the news I had just received about having cancer, but I felt the apocalypse was knocking on my front door. I saw the trajectory of my life cascading towards the ground. Inside of me was a malignancy growing and mutating cells murdering me. I was ending as a person. I realized if I were to die in the immediate future, in the next few months or year, no one would remember or mourn my passing because mass death was looming up to snatch uncountable lives across the world. The COVID approaching Canada, the UK, Europe, and America, everywhere was going to transform society as war did to yours in 1939, when for five years, no one had time to mourn the dead.